Well now, thank you, Beverly. Let's bow our heads and whatever storms we're going through right now, we can bring to the Lord. There was such good news about Andrew Doyle. But you've got your storm. Each of us does. So take a moment, will you, in the presence of the Lord to bring whatever that burden is and the struggle that you have. Lord, thank you for Beverly. Thank you for our choir and musicians. Thank you for whoever wrote those words. And thank you for the sentiment that's expressed there. There are storms, but you are there with us, Lord, in our boat. So as we come to you, Lord, set our hearts at rest. Give us a peace which does pass human understanding. Help us to cast all our care on you, knowing that you care for us. Thank you for your promise that you will never turn away anyone who comes to you. So we come to you. And as we come to you, we come to your word. And ask you, Lord Jesus Christ, once again to take my lips and speak through them. To take our minds and think through them. To take our wills, our stubborn, prideful wills, and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, we have some celebrations here this morning as well. We're going to be celebrating Holy Communion. If you are visiting with us, at the time when we come forward to receive the bread and the wine, and you'll see how that works here, we invite you to come if you know and love the Lord Jesus and be a part of our family here together. That will be a very holy moment for you. We've got another celebration. Barry Mariana is celebrating 60 years of uh, life here. His wife went splurging and uh, put these beautiful flowers here in honor of you, Barry. Can you imagine that? And you're going to take those home with you? Maybe. And also, we had a wonderful pastor here for any number of years by the name of Don Wilson. He went home to be with the Lord one Christmas Eve. Very salutary Christmas Eve that was. Well, his wife, Bet, who worships with us Sunday by Sunday, is here. And uh, she is celebrating 84 years, celebrating her birthday. So, Bet, happy birthday. And the wonder of it all. First time I heard George Beverly Shea sing 
He was a young man. I was a teenager. And uh, that same evening I heard him sing. I gave my life to Jesus. I don't think it was because of his singing. But I do remember hearing him sing and going out and buying one of his albums. Back in those days, that's about as contemporary as it got in England. And he was singing with that rich baritone bass, basso profundo voice of his. So I'm here this morning celebrating that Bev Shea is home with Jesus. And I got to hear him sing face to face the day I gave my life to Jesus. So one day I'll be back home and uh, singing with George Beverly Shea (laughs) in glory. For those of you who were not here last week, what we are doing is entering into a series of studies. And you see the title right there in your service sheet about how we live together as the church. And as we are studying that, we are taking verses set in their context from the Bible which teach about us being one another, lovers of each other, friends of each other, encouragers of each other. In other words, speaking to the family... Because the whole phrase, one another, isn't just about me and Jesus. It's about me, you, and Jesus. And I made it very clear in what was said last week. That when we come to Jesus, we inherit a family. We're born again into a family. It's not just born again into the kingdom of God with heaven as our home. And that is a great joy... A joy that had me dancing through the streets of London as a teenager. But I inherited a family that evening. I didn't realize it. But as I began to grow as a Christian and get myself connected in a church, I realized it wasn't just about me and Jesus, but me and all this others and Jesus. And in fact, I would have to say that it was in relationship to the other Christians that I began to meet and worship with and then serve with in Sunday school and camps and various things that I grew in my faith. We can't grow up by ourselves. In real life, you can't. You can't grow up and mature in solitude. That's a fact. You live in isolation, even little babies living in isolation, don't grow up normally. They grow up in a family with a mom and a dad and other kids, presumably. But when we grow, it's in in a family association with the give and take, the bumps and bruises, the joys and the encouragements, The struggles, stress, and strain of living in harmony within a family. Everything we are talking about in terms of living together as a church, you could apply directly to yourself and your family. 
how husbands and wives ought to live together, how children and parents ought to live together. We are family. And God commands us. He doesn't have some good ideas about how we might make it. He commands us to live in such a style, in such a way, with each other, that not only I grow up, but I help you grow up. And I'm not speaking as the preacher, but that would be true for all of us. So one of the things that is so important in a church as large as ours, for instance, is that you get involved in a small group setting. That you get involved in serving, giving of your time or your talent, your ability in other ministries. That is, other things that we do together as a church. You guys, I don't know what the 60 bucks is to get up to Erie and fish, but if you go up there with a bunch of other guys, I presume you're going out on a boat. I don't know if you're going to be standing around on the shore. I'll give you a ride up there for 60 bucks if you want to go up and fish in the uh, Lake Erie. I guess there must be, there's more to it than that. But what's really important is whether you catch fish or not, no. It's that you go up there as a bunch of guys together. Guys together have a different feel about themselves just as women together do. You stick a guy in a bunch of bunch of women and women are inhibited. You stick a woman in a bunch a bunch of guys and she's still inhibited. <laughs> no, the guys are inhibited. Guys need to be guys together so they can grow up as Christian men not pansified, acting like women. I mean that in all reality. Church pretty much goes forward on the knees of the women and the guys tag along. That's been my observation. Men, be men together and lovers of Jesus together. Learn how to do that. So the fishing trip is not really all about fishing for fish but growing up as men. You think about that. So here we are in church together, and we're going to be looking at the passage that's in your service sheet on page 6. It's from the Epistle to the Romans. It's a very, very famous chapter that deals with, in the first place, the way God gifts us for ministry. That's the first half of the chapter. And the second half of the chapter is how we live together given that kind of giftedness. How we work out our faith together. And that section, verses 9 through the end of the, the chapter, verse 21, which is what we're looking at, that is divided into about two halves too. The first half is essentially how we live together within the church amongst ourselves, and the second half is about how we, the church, live out in the world. And one reflects on the other. How we live together in the church gives us credibility whenever friends come in amongst us. And it gives us the steam, the fuel, if we will live together encouragingly to go make it out in a secular society and live strong for Jesus, to be bold for him. 
not to be swept along in the current of the secular lifestyle. The huge thing I want to say to you as we head into this is that out there in the world, we expect divisiveness. We expect people to pick the mortar out of each other's walls. You expect people to be unkind to each other, belittle each other. It's evident in the media. I've got friends who've stopped listening to any of the political chatter because all that they ever hear, whether it's television or radio or whatever they're reading, you've got one group tearing another group down. So it becomes nothing but a public argument and derision. Very, very negative. And we have grown up in a society that has become very, very professional at looking at each other's weaknesses, picking each other apart, being jealous, saying snide things, being pleasant to the face but being nasty behind their back, and even to do it in a nice way. My daughter has gone, one of my daughters has, well, now two of them are down there, down south. One lives in Tennessee and the other in North Carolina. And down south, you go down there amongst the southerners. And if you are a southerner up here with us Yankees, excuse me mimicking something about you people from the south. But I've observed this as an Englishman just passing through. The down south, people speak very, very nicely to each other. They are really well-mannered. They, they, uh, even when they're going to say something unpleasant about somebody, they preface it by saying, bless her heart. And then they put in the knife. Bless her heart. Or they stick the knife in first and then say, bless her heart. My daughter, Carrie-Anne, actually says she'd rather be down south where people are nice even if they don't mean it than up north where they're nasty even if they don't mean it. But the world is very complex out there. And we've learned to protect ourselves, not to be too vulnerable. Now, what's sad is when that same attitude grows and is cultivated within the church. Brothers and sisters, we should be different. So when you find people within the church speaking ill of other Christians, their brothers and sisters, their family, speaking ill of their leadership, their pastors, their teachers, their boards, their leaders. What you have is that same cultural activity in the world transplanted into the church. And it was so in the time of the Apostle Paul. This was nothing new. Hence the teaching about how we should live together in the church as well as how we in the church should live together outside the church. So look at this. This is serious business. Look at this with me, will you? 
The very opening verse, verse 9 of Romans 12, says this, Love must be sincere. It's going to head into how we ought to live together. Look at verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There is your one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Goes on to say, same verse, verse 10. Honor one another above yourselves. If you go down to verse 16, you see it says there, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is about us living together within the family of the church. But it's all prefaced as Paul heads into this teaching with this opening statement, love must be sincere. Now that's a very positive way to say it. Actually in the original Greek, it's got a negative statement there. It says love should not be hypocritical. It uses a word, hypocrites, and you can see how you could, that's Greek, that you can see how we get in English, hypocrite. Hypocrites, hypocrite. But the, the image is of the, the actor on the stage, and back in those days, Greek drama was played out with people having masks on a stick, And if they were playing the villain, they'd put up the stick with the villain and you could see the face of a villain. If it was a melodramatic love story, you'd have some swoony-looking guy or doe-eyed-looking girl on a mask, larger than life, because you couldn't bring the cameras in close. And you always knew whether it was the lover or the madman or the... Wicked man, by the mask. And the people on the stage were the actors, the hypocrites. And the way it transforms in this language is, if you're going to be sincere in love, it's not about wearing a mask that looks like love. It's being really a lover. And the people in Paul's day would have immediately gotten that image because of the word that's used. Simply translated, we have it here, that love must be sincere. In other words, we're not playing games. We don't just put on a mask and behind that mask is all kinds of unpleasantness or viciousness or distrust. To be open-faced about our care for one another. Love must be sincere. Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of the great preachers of the last century, which was only a few years ago, the last century that is, preaching at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, once made this statement that we who love Jesus have got to step off the stage and into real life to be lovers. So it's not just a drama that we play out here, that we pretend. 
But we step off into the streets of life and live out that love. And outside of our being concerned to be genuine people, who wants to be a fake? Who wants to be a hypocrite? Who wants to be seen as somebody who says something to your face and smiles and knifes you in the back and talks about you with others? Who wants to be seen as the negative person in the community who's always picking fault with someone else but behind their backs? Who wants to be that? None of you would stand up if I say, is that the kind of person you want to be? But we all know how easy it is to play the game and be hypocritical. And if that's the case, there is no way that we're going to build community together. Because we won't trust each other. We won't bear our souls to each other. You won't tell other people what's really going on because you know they're going to take it and use it against you. You won't be able to pray sincerely together because you'll never share what's really going on with anyone. Because you'll want to be hiding behind your mask. And wouldn't it be tragic if you could just imagine this, we all going around behind our masks. What a waste of a life. God has made us and created us and given us a new life in his spirit, born again spiritually, to be in the family together. The great thing about family is nobody is fooling anybody in your house. Isn't that the truth? Your kids know who you are. Your wife knows who you are, guys. You know who your brothers and sisters are. We're not fooling anybody at home. (laughs) Just crossed my mind, I didn't prepare to say this, but it just flashed across my mind that this woman had the pastor and his wife in for dinner along with some of the other church leaders. And they're all sitting around the table, and to be impressive, she said to her little boy, would you say grace? Would you pray for us? He said, mommy, I wouldn't know what to say. So she said, just hear what you've heard mommy say. (laughs) And he took that literally, and he said, oh Lord, why have I invited all these people to dinner? Mask gone. (laughs) Truth out. We know how to play that game. How to look good when behind the scenes, it just ain't so. But at home, nobody fools anybody. We are family. And I would venture to say that generally speaking, we don't fool each other out here either. So how about us getting real? The only way that's going to happen is if God gives us his help. We have to go to him. So take a look very 
quickly with me at these one another's. Be devoted to one another, verse 10, in brotherly love. That is Philadelphia, by the way, in the original Greek. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's a command. It's not a feeling. If we see ourselves as family and team, then we back each other up. We're for each other. We're not out to put each other down and belittle each other and destroy each other. We want to encourage each other. We spoke of that last week. To encourage one another. To cheer one another on. To be each other's advocates. Be devoted to it. That means you've got to make some kind of commitment to the family. To turn up is big. To get involved in a small group would be helpful. To get out with the guys on a fishing trip. To get involved with the prayer fellowship before the service. All sorts of opportunities to be involved. To get to know people and to grow up together. Then it goes on to say this. Honor one another above yourselves. Philippians chapter 2 has a powerful statement concerning how we ought to live together. To love one another as Christ loved us. To be amongst each other as Christ was amongst us. It's said of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 that though he was God, he didn't count equality with God something to be clung onto, but he humbled himself, took the form of a servant, and being found as a servant, offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the servant mindset. It's not showing off. Jesus could have showed off. When he did miracles, he wasn't showing off. He was demonstrating who he was, but it wasn't about being glitzy and glamorous and adored. It was about the truth of who he was. And we need to be each other's advocates, promoting, honoring, speaking well of each other, saying well of each other, giving our minds, being devoted to it, to see how we can honor one another, lift one another up, speak well of one another. Forget the catty talk. Forget the self-centered attitude where we want to make other people look small so that we can feel big. There are any number of psychological reasons why we put people down and belittle them. And often it's because we are terribly insecure ourselves. There was a chap back in England who was always dropping names. He knew a lot of very famous people. And he would constantly, he was a nice chap, he was nice enough, but so insecure, he had to tell you who he met last week, who he spoke to on the phone, who he worked with, who he went to school with. I really have a friend like this. To be in touch with him is to get a litany of all the famous people he's been in touch with. Well, this other guy back in England, the fellas got together and said, look, you know, Ray is really such a nice chap, but all he does is keep dropping names about famous people. One of us needs to go tell him about it. So one of the guys did. He went up to him, he said, you know, Ray, you are such a great guy, but do you realize that all you do is keep dropping names of famous people that you hang out with? Do you know what he said, Ray? He said, you know, Prince Charles told me the same thing just last week. (laughs) 
How about honoring each other, lifting each other up, speaking well of each other? Not about us. Then you've got a running chance, you see, when you've got a sincere love. We get committed to backing each other as brothers and sisters. It's a brotherly love. And then we honor one another and speak up for each other. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. It's the same issue. There is no harmony when people are just bragging on themselves or bringing other people down. And here's the most important thing from my vantage point. Being an evangelist. Being somebody who was not raised to go to church. Always thought of church people as hypocrites. Who spoke one thing but did another. I had all the cliches of criticism about Christians. Though I never went to church. I didn't get my information firsthand. I picked it up. It was an attitude that was on the streets. I'm concerned that when people come in amongst us from outside, they find us loving each other, not like out there. They find us affirming one another that it's a happy, pleasant place to be. And praise God for Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whenever people speak to Kathy and me about this church... She said, I can tell you two things about our church. Because they say, what kind is it? All the small talk. She said, our church loves God and they love each other. Generally speaking, that's our experience. But here we're preaching the word of God. And we know that beyond what I've just described, there are other issues and attitudes that we need to deal with. So that we can be the kind of church that when people come in, they say, whoa. I'd love to be a part of this gang. How do I become like that? How do I get in on this? Who we are as a church is one of the great evangelistic messages that authenticates what Jesus has done for us. And if we can't demonstrate it together, it tends to close our mouths and the authenticity of the gospel when we want to give it to others. And it ought not to be so. So let's pray together going to be coming to the Lord's table in just a moment but let's prepare our hearts before the Lord for that moment Lord Jesus thank you for your great humility thank you for setting the stage thank you for showing us how to love as we ought thank you for calling us to love one another as you have loved us Help us, Lord, to be there for one another, to devote ourselves to one another, to support and encourage one another. Please, Lord, close our mouths when we are tempted to speak critically and negatively and put each other down. Grant us, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit at work in us to exhibit the kind of love you have for us, that the way you have loved and comforted us, we may love and comfort others. Thank you, Lord Jesus.